I'm Darren Millard, and this is In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by The Hockey Shop, source for sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. Host log. This is episode 25. Today, you will hear from one of the most interesting people in the goaltending world who did not play in the NHL. Olympics, professional leagues in North America, and a career in Japan before joining the ranks of goalie coach. Dusty Emu is bluntly honest in how he dealt with the constant rotation of coaches during his formative time in the game and reflects on those experiences influencing his role as a goalie coach with the Los Angeles Kings organization. This summer, he embarks on a new challenge, which takes him to China. Dusty Emu is down-home fun to listen to. Our gear segment focuses on the chest and arm combination, two models from CCM. Kevin Woodley connects with Cam at the Hockey Shop for that. KW is here, one of the co-founders of InGoal Magazine, along with David Hutchison, who returns from a week away on assignment for InGoal. And you guys had a chance to expose yourself to the mental side of the game. Hutch? Yeah, we, uh, Kevin and myself and Maddie, uh, were over in Vancouver and where, uh, John Stevenson, who works with, uh, Carter Hart and Braden Holtby, most notably, and, uh, Pete Fry, who we've known for many years for his work with, uh, with Eli Wilson, two experts in the goalie mindset games were putting on a, uh, a workshop over in Vancouver for goaltenders, uh, of all ages. And uh, it was also interesting because parents were invited to join their goaltenders there as well, so they could get a bit of insight as to what their kids were up to. And uh, it was a it was a fascinating day. Um, it was so fascinating that we ran a couple hours over even, so we were there for gosh a good uh, ten hours I think. And uh, insight into the overall game, insight into uh, preparation for the game, a lot of takeaways in terms of how we can improve our 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 mental game. Uh, one of the things I thought was that there were a lot of things going on there that we're not even sure we'd be comfortable sharing. Um, we were getting a lot of real inside stories uh, from their work with other goaltenders, things that um, the goalies themselves had approved being shared in the in the workshop, but maybe maybe a little bit more personal that we'd want to share uh, with the wider world. Um, and and for me, one of the one of the big takeaways was there were a number of goaltenders in the room that are embarking on professional careers or continuing WHL careers. Uh, and I know for a fact that many of them have worked with Pete for several years now and seen some real growth as a result. And uh, despite that, they uh, were the most engaged people in the room. Um, they've been through a lot of this material before, but they were hanging on the edge of their seat, uh, working on this material, very serious about what they did. And, uh, and I think that was a beautiful example for everybody in the room. Uh, you know, another one that, that really struck me was as John was talking about uh, Carter Hart in particular and some of the mental routines that he goes through. And, and earlier on, uh, in a story that we should have on Ingle shortly, uh, the beginnings of Braden Holtby's uh, mental training, um, was just the willingness of these top-end guys, the ones in the room or the pros we're talking about, uh, to regularly, uh, in a committed way, practice these skills in ways that the rest of us just don't. I mean, we, we see them, we see they're fascinating, but we don't build in that 20, 40, uh, 60 minutes a day of deliberate practice on what is uh, at least 25% of the game for goaltenders. And, and we always talk 90, but maybe Kevin will fill us in as to why that's uh, closer to 25 based on our seminar. But just that commitment to that really, really important skill. And, and you can see, I mean, we even know that there's a, a ton of pros that don't go the lengths that Carter Hart does. And it, it became really clear as we listened to what his, some of his routines are. 
uh, why he's uh, one of the best up-and-coming youngsters in the game. It's called the mental gym, guys. And if you're you're going to go to the gym on the ice, you're going to go to your technical teachers on the ice, you're going to go to the gym off the ice to work out your body. Um, Hutch is right. The These all become components of what John calls the performance wheel. And the performance wheel is made up of, and this is why, you know, I even tweeted last week, right? Like I, I tweeted something about, you know, goalies always tell us that uh, the position is 90% mental. And John was like, that's a bunch of crap. And he said, and Holpe, I think Holpe, he cited a quote where Braden said the game's 99% mental. He said, that's a bunch of crap. If we take a look at our performance wheel, you divide it into four quadrants, physical skills, technical skills, tactical skills, and mental skills. And the hub of that is lifestyle. But mental skills is only one quarter. So he's like, it's 25%. But, but where we were right is that goalies don't spend enough time on it. And there are concrete ways that the best actually commit that time, and that's in their mental gym. They go to their mental gym, whether it's doing concentration grids, um, and we got a chance to do that and try that in that environment, and I'm now hooked on trying to beat my times on these online concentration grids. By the way, I'm faster than Hodge. Um, there are things Some like... Of us bre- are working while others are playing. Yeah, there might be an element to that too. Um, just once a day. Um, uh, the other one was breathing. And there was a great story. Like Hutch said, it'll be up on Ingle Mag shortly. But Braden worked with John Stevenson at the age, from the age of 16 as a coach in the Western Hockey League. But he didn't really have his breakthrough in terms of the mental approach until he was 19. And it came after being cut from the World Junior Championships. And you know, not to scoop our own story here, but essentially he came back and wondered you know, why he didn't make the team. And John broke it down into the performance wheel. Like, you are good in all these quadrants. But quite frankly, Braden, you're a mental midget. And so he challenged him to do a focus exercise that involved breathing. And he challenged him to do it for two minutes. And Braden didn't make it through the first minute before he was distracted and thinking about everything except what he was supposed to be focusing on. And so... John gave Braden credit from that point forward. He spent an entire year trying to get to 20 minutes every day, did not miss a day working on this breathing exercise. And so that was the start of a road down the path from what John would say was mental midget to a guy we now recognize as probably one of the stronger mental goalies in the NHL. And that's probably why when Braden Holpe won the Stanley Cup and the first interview he did was with Scott Oak, the first person he thanked in person or on the air publicly was John Stevenson. And John will tell you that's a bunch of crap because Braden's the one that did the work. Many goalies don't. He went to the mental gym and he made sure that 25% quadrant, when he recognized the deficiency in it, just like if we recognize the deficiency in our skating or our lower body strength, we go to those gyms to fix them. He went and fixed his mental side. And so fascinating day. Um, there was the high performance equation was a big one. Uh, concentration and mental mental strength isn't being able to concentrate on focus. It's also knowing what are and being able to focus on the right things. Um, just a, a great day. And with each segment and each different part that we learned, there were takeaways, exercises that you could do to get better in that regard. I think a lot of times the mental game can come across as you know, with all apologies to them, but if it can come across as a little fluffy, a little bit sort of airy and light and, you know, a little bit out there, frankly, but they well, brought... Well, I think of the mental game, just to jump in there, yep. 
as as controlling your emotions and more specifically trying to rein in being a hothead. Well, that's where I go with the mental game, but there's much more to it than that. Maybe because you're just thinking of me and that's the hothead, but um the, True. It's, it's the ability to concentrate on the right things in the right moments, the ability to focus your mind on staying in the moment. And that involves not allowing it to go to the past or the future. And again, there were there were so many different components to that beyond just those sort of general statements. And they walked us through them all and they gave us drills for most of them and things that goalies can take away. And, you know, for the most part, just be able to work on and improve on. And one of the biggest ones, though, was recognizing what mental toughness truly is, what the components are, and that you need to dedicate and that you can dedicate yourself to getting better at them. And so, I mean, wrap it all up. And it was just a fascinating day. And like like Hutch said, uh, there's, a, there's another one in Toronto this weekend. If anybody's in the area, I think there are still some spots, which again, surprises me. We'll spend thousands of dollars to go to goalie school, the same goalie school quite often to run through similar drills all summer. And we don't, you know, to me, it, the equivalent is the, is the mask. You spend $3,000 on pads and gloves, but cheap out on a mask that might save your head. Um, I think that there's probably a lot of goalies out there that, that could benefit from maybe, you know, spending a little bit more or expending a little energy on on learning what the mental gym is and how they can get to it. Um, and if that is at the expense of another couple, you know, one private lesson, then then so be it. But there's spots available. And, and like I said, that kind of surprises me because I found it invaluable, even as a beer leaguer, um, some of the exercises that you came away with to, to sort of get strong mentally. And just to follow up on, on talking about some of this feeling a bit fluffy, uh, with other folks, it it absolutely doesn't with these two guys. Two incredibly engaging people. I mean, John has played the game at a high level. He has coached right up to the National Hockey League. He's sharing stories. Uh, at times, feeling a little bit like we're, excuse me, sharing the same locker room with him uh, as he shares stories of these guys. And and Pete himself is an incredibly engaging person. I mean, he's got more energy than anybody I've ever met. Uh, he also played the game at a very high level and has coached at a high level. Um, so you really feel like you're talking to to experts from the goaltending world, not a, a mental training expert who's trying to put their spin on the goaltending world. It's uh, it, it's a fascinating day. Well, and that's the one thing that that John says, right? And and Pete, you know, we 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 didn't mention the names, but the guys he's worked with, Dylan Ferguson, Las Vegas or Vegas Golden Knights draft pick, was in the room doing doing this this seminar with us in Vancouver. Uh, Cody Porter, who plays minor pro in the SPHL and is, you know, after some injury issues, working his way up to the East Coast Hockey League this year and hopefully beyond that, um, was there. Beck Warm, who was just at the Washington Capitals development camp and looks good to sign a deal, uh, hopefully sometime this summer, uh, coming off an incredibly strong WHL season. But as John said, guys, like everything we're doing here, feel free to ask. Because if you can't figure out how this applies to the game as a goalie, ask me because everything I'm doing is going to apply back to the game. That's why when he first asked Braden to do two minutes of concentration, he, he timed that. Okay, that's a power play. Now we need to get to 20 minutes. Why 20 minutes? That's a period. That's the focus blocks we need to have. It's also not about, it's also about understanding. It's not about being able to focus on one thing as we do our breathing exercise. A big part of the challenge is accepting that our focus is going to drift he said in a good game, Braden's focus drifts 10 to 15 times. A bad game is 25 times. So as you're doing this breathing exercise, it's about recognizing when it drifts 
and can we pull it back? That's part of the exercise. I'd never heard that before. Again, to me, that's that's part of the the takeaways that you get from something like this. And as Hutch said, to see Dylan Ferguson, Cody Porter, Beck Warm, guys who are on the pro path, if not already pros, uh, Dylan turning pro this year, has played in the NHL, um, engaged with all these activities, doing all the visualization, doing the breathing exercises, competing in the concentration grids. Um, that was enough to tell me that if these guys saw value in it and saw it as an advantage they can get, why the hell wouldn't I? There's a fine line, though, between being all in and focused and becoming a robot. And I think there's, there's still a place for emotion. And I'd be curious to, I'd love to sit down and go through one of these seminars to find where that, that line is. And because emotion can be very helpful at times as well. In yeah. how you handle it, but it's, it can be helpful. If, if you are able to remain focused on the right things, which is yourself, right. your game and the moment, uh, then maybe maybe that does drive some people. I, I, I don't think emotion entered into the discussion a, a whole ton uh, on the weekend. I think it was just more about putting the, the right attention in the right place at the right time. And, uh, and if you can do that, then you can. You're not robotic. You can actually let go and let mm-hmm. your skills um, you know, come to the forefront. Well, and if that and if that includes if, if by emotion you mean getting fired up and challenging somebody, Darren, then then it, I guess it would depend. And I think, hey, absolutely. What I hope is you, if you have time this weekend, and I know you're busy, but go check the one out with John in Toronto uh, and ask that question because there was very interactive. But if yeah. I'm fired up and and I engage with a guy, to me that would be just that would be one of those moments where, okay, my focus if it, if the timing's okay and we're in a whistle or whatever. My focus is no longer where it needs to be in terms of the next save. But if I recognize that, I can allow that emotion out and then recognize that I now need to, again, that's about losing the focus and then being able to pull it back in by the time the puck drops. Because we've all said it, right? We don't mind goalies that battle and engage with players as long as they're ready to go when the puck drops the next time and no longer thinking about that altercation. That's when you know they've gotten under that guy's skin. So this is a part of, again, Find the focus, recognize when it leaves, and be able to bring it back. It's about being able to focus on the right things at the right times. That's their definition or a big part of their definition of mental toughness. Hutch, can you put the uh, dates or at least the locations for the Cross Canada Tour uh, in the show notes? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, They'll be in the show notes. Um, They are sent out by email each week. If any of our listeners aren't getting that weekly email from InGoal, please go to InGoalMag.com and you can sign up for those, uh, those free emails where we'll summarize some of the things that have gone on the site. And, uh, and in cases like this, we'll also share important information. Kevin? Yeah, July 13th in Toronto, as we mentioned, coming up. And then it's, it's pretty much August, August 4th in Calgary, August 11th in Edmonton. We're expecting Carter Hart to be at one, if not both of those. Saskatoon on August 14th, Montreal August 17th, and it wraps up in Winnipeg on August 24th. But as Hutch said, uh, you can check the websites and check our material and you'll be able to find all those things. And as I said, as Hutch mentioned, um, we'll have some of these stories, uh, the ones we're allowed to share with the broader public. Um, up at ingolmag.com and in the in the weekly newsletter, actually, probably starting today. Well, the mental part of the game is a big uh, 
chunk of the discussion with Dusty Emu, and that's our feature interview coming up, but also impacted uh, players across the National Hockey League inside the goaltending position this past winter with the restrictions that were implemented on the chest and arm. And the upper body protection is the subject of our gear segment this week, dealing with CCM and a couple of models. Here's Kevin with Cam at the Hockey Shop. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. We're in the basement, or as I call it and tell you folks every week, a little slice of goalie heaven. Once again, it's busy here in the shop. So once again, that means in the back, I'm in the back room with Cam Matt with. Today, we're going to be talking about the CCM, both models of chest protector, both the Extreme Flex Shield 2 uh, and the CCM Premier and Premier LE, just a couple different models with a couple different options. But while I'm sitting here in the basement, before we get to the chest protector, I'm surrounded by demo gear. We teased this last week. If you've been following the social media channels for the Hockey Shop Source for Sports, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you've probably already seen some of the demo pads they've unleashed. Uh, there's a set of Demco pads here. Just lots of great demo gear that is about to hit the market, be sold at the annual demo sale July 12th. So just a couple days from now, uh, they're going to unleash this to the public at great prices, going to be a great sale. Um, no coincidence. Is it just a coincidence, Cam, that this sale happens on your wedding day? Like, are you expecting it to be like such a big sale that you want to get the hell out of here and get married instead? Well, I, I tried to convince the now future wife, uh, that, uh, that I'd be uh, selling the gear at the same time as I was trying to tie the knot, but, uh, she didn't like that didn't, idea. Didn't go over well. Ooh. You're like phone buzzing. I got, I got to sell the set of pads. Huh? Just, <laughs> just hold on on the I do's. Okay. Well, congratulations on that, but we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. For starters, though, so demo sale, make sure, again, check all the social media channels. Um, this week, though, let's talk chest protector. Yes. Um, and a couple of really popular models over the years. Haven't changed. Not a lot of big changes for this year. Uh, again, we go to that mantra, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And so rather than walk through the slightly updated, mostly colors on the LE of the Premier and ignore the shield, I figured we'd talk about both because mm -hmm. they really are designed for two different goaltenders. They're built differently for different sort of preferences. So let's walk, let's walk through them. Let's start with, let's start with the Extreme Flex. Now this is a product, uh, the Shield 2, uh, that we're actually in the process of testing in Ingle. We haven't done a full review on it in the past. We've used the Premier and tested the Premier. And as a matter of fact, we had a few guys into the NHL in the Premier after working with us and seeing just how big and, and, and well it presented, but we haven't had a chance to go through the shield. So walk me through what the extreme flex chest protector, the shield model, shield two model is all about. Flexibility and mobility are the first words that come to mind with the shield two. Um, that was basically what CCM set out to create, especially with now having such a good, um, uh, coverage and, um, uh, protection story with the premier. Um, now they're like, okay, well, let's go with that a little bit more flexible, a little bit more mobile goalie, which you are starting to see in that development too, a little bit of that narrower chest. That's what that shield is. Extremely, extremely flexible out of the box, especially for its arms, but still not sacrificing too much in the protection category as well. So a little more contoured in the appearance, but not at the expense of, of black and blue. Hey, hey, exactly, exactly. And that comes up there. You still see their call out features for their D3O foam especially in the sternum plate, one of those bigger kind of hit points. Um, you still see that foam there as well. Okay. Now we actually, uh, we had a presentation um, that we were lucky to attend and see um, by Dr. Ryan Frain, who works with CCM, sort of on, you know, how the range of motion in a chest protector, what really matters. 
in terms of where the arms move to make saves. And, you know, so we see people come into a store and they want to like scratch the back of their ear and see if the chest protector will do that. But what they focused on when they were developing this model is really functional range of motion. In other words, where do the arms go to make saves? And it wasn't just that high blocker, low blocker, um, high glove, low glove, making those types of saves, but also cradles. And that's the one thing in our early testing that we've liked about this is the way it's sort of when you want to pull the arms in in front of you and control shots off the body, not just have them hit you. Uh, the way this thing sort of, for lack of a better term, xylophones in, it just kind of all folds in. Um, being able to sort of close your arms in front of you to control pucks seems to be as big a story as, you know, scratching your ear when you're in the store and try it on for the first time when it comes to the shield too. For, for sure. I mean, hey, that's our favorite test is, you know, hey, hold your hands up above your head. Can you do that? I mean, that's a great, you know, you got to be able to get test. your mask on, but the reality is you're not making a ton of saves up there. Hey, it, and that's true. And that's, that's one of the, you know, a good highlight point that kind of gets glossed over a little bit. And, you know, again, that what you just said, a test to, you know, the marketing, well, not the marketing, but the research that goes behind the chest protector for them to produce it. Again, looking really for that flexible mobile unit right out of the box. Okay. And so, so you've had similar, like, do you, is the feedback match that in terms of, you know, that mobility in front of the chest and the way the chest kind of folds into itself. I think that has a little bit due to how they attach the shoulder floaters. Like again, with something that's not being like fully tacked down and having elastic on it has allowed it to stretch and move a little bit more. So um, yeah, based on that, uh, you know, the feedback, I don't think it was described in that exact same fashion, but I think what everyone was, you know, trying to describe is what you just brought up there. Okay. Now let's move on to the premiere because this is definitely, um, this is not contoured. No. This is not, yeah, no, this is not contoured. And this is a good thing because um, some of us need to look big. Yes. And so. I, so I sort of look like a monster out there and you couldn't get me out of this thing. Like, honestly, if they were to ever discontinue this thing, I would come in here and buy 10. It's like <laughs> when, when, they, when they changed the wedges or the groove rules on wedges for golf. I went in and bought a whole bunch of old Cleveland wedges because I wanted all that extra spin on there. I need all the help I can get. And the <laughs> CCM Premier, from a presentation standpoint, dating back to Carey Price being the first one in the NHL to wear it and the only one that had it the year he won the the Hart and the Vesna. I think the the catchphrase we had when he won that was uh, was massive, mobile, MVP. Now, feels a little stiff out of the box off the wall. We found it breaks in pretty quick. Uh, you can't argue the presentation, how big this thing presents. As a matter of fact, it's one of the reasons the NHL changed the rules. This is one of the models where guys just look so big in it. And the good news is here at retail for the rest of us, we still have that benefit. Exactly. Exactly. And you know what? It, 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 you've really kind of hit it on the nail. I'm, I'm on a bit of a loss. Can you tell him a bit? Can I, can you tell him a bit of a fan of this unit? It, it, clearly it kind of, it shows right there. I, again, you know, the size of this unit alone and the presentation as it sits on the wall really does speak for itself. Um, with this current LE version that we have in front of us here, um, between that and the old version, really not a whole lot's changed. You just get a bit of an update on the colorway, but they have added actually a couple durability features to it. And that has to do with some of the areas in the binding, um, just to like reinforce the binding just a little bit more to make sure again, just to help it last a little bit better. But other than that, you've still got the exact same unit 
which means the old unit that's Ooh, basically like the on sale. Oh, exactly. So you're exactly. saying that uh, I should come in and stock up now on this bad boy and buy like six of them and you won't have any left on sale and I'll never need another new chest protector in my life. I, I didn't say that exactly. And I would like it, you know, some of those listeners out there to be able to have the opportunity to get some of this sale stock. You but- better get down here quick, folks, because yes, wow, the CCM Premier Pro uh, the past model. And like you said, there's a few changes in terms of reinforcing the binding on the new LE, but for the most part, um, the premier pro versus the premier pro LE, the premier pro just has the yellow trim. You've seen it. You've seen it. You've probably seen it a lot in the NHL, uh, up until this past season when, when they changed the rules, you'd see that sort of trademark yellow underneath the, the white road jerseys for teams sort of shining through as guys got sweaty full hundred dollars off compared to the LE. So while you have it in stock, that's a pretty good option for people. Exactly. Good chance to stock on up. Okay. And the new LE, like you said, a little bit reinforced in the binding. I can see it in a couple of spots there. Um, Sexy looking unit. Can I say that about a chest protector? Like the all black with the uh, D3O again on the chest plate. And in, in the front, the elbow guards on the front. Your arm floaters. Arm floaters. There's the proper word. That's why he gets paid the big bucks. Uh, D3O impact absorbing foam in the elbow floaters and in the chest plate on again, not, not just the, the premium pro LE, but on last year's premium pro as, as well, it comes stock on both. So, uh, I, again, like I said, I know I would say to people that, you know, if you, when you first get out of the box and pull it off the wall, it might feel a little bit stiff because it is a bulkier unit. But in terms of range of motion, I've, I've, I mean, once you get this broken in after a couple of skates, I've had no, I've never sort of felt that it was restrictive in my movement. Now, then again, my movement may suck, but I've never felt it was restrictive. And clearly at the pro level, until the rules changed, uh, guys had no problems with it. Exactly. So I, I, so I basically <laughs> carry, I carry that. Why are you here? I just I, ca- yeah, I carry the whole, this whole segment. I didn't even need to be here. Okay. So we'll go get married yeah. in a couple of days. Yeah. Unbelievable. Cam. Thank you for being here so close to your wedding day. Go enjoy the nuptials. Don't enjoy the bachelor party too much. Um, we may see if we get a fill-in for you while you're away, or we may just let you come back on. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe get a fill-in for a week and see how he does and see if we let you back on the show. Sounds good to me. Okay. <laughs> Congratulations on the uh, pending nuptials for everyone else. Uh, make sure you check out the Hockey Shop Source for Sports, thehockeyshop.com, or if you have any questions on fitting, these CCM chest protectors, you can always call. Cam won't be here when he's getting married, but they've got a, an army of good staff down here in the goalie department. Great all staff. Of, Great and they, staff. And they all play the position. Um, some of them are almost as good as Cam. Some of them have lost to me head to head. How can they get a hold of anyone to ask for sizing recommendations on these? 604-589-8299. And don't forget, check out all the social media channels. Demo sale starts in two days. Cam's getting married. Everyone else is buying demo gear. Um, CCM, Brian's, Vaughn, Bauer, Warrior, Thatcher Demko's Canucks pads are out there. Going to be on sale in two days. So make sure you check that out at thehockeyshop.com. For Cam, I'm Kevin. Thanks for listening this week. Um, when you come back, are you going to? Will you be still Cam Matwiv, or will you be Mrs. Cam? Easy there, Turbo. Let's let's settle down there. Okay. Okay. Again, chest and arm, I've said it in past episodes, it's not the sexiest piece of equipment, but it is the most fascinating one right now because of uh, what Kay Whitmore and the NHL went through last year. Uh, 
Woody. Yep. The NHL specs is now that we're a year into the new approach by the National Hockey League, is that starting to filter down to other leagues and, and to retail? No. And, and well, uh, other leagues, no, absolutely not. Um, and I don't expect it to, frankly. We'll see what happens. Um, but my hunch is no, like like other leagues haven't adopted the NHL sizing chart um, on leg pads, like you know the where you measure the ankle to knee. Like they have this this formula, and then K has a, a you know a device. It's a bunch of tubes put together that basically measures that pad height and makes sure that it that that measurement matches what that goalie's max is based on his physical measurements. Like they don't have that in other leagues. I, I'm pretty sure they don't. I know they don't have it in the NCAA, not in the Western Hockey League. That's an adjustment, actually, uh, when you're scouting a guy like, hey, what's he going to look like when his pads have two and a half inches chopped off the top of him because he's getting away with this at other leagues. Europe, no. So I don't expect this to go overseas at all. In fact, I had an overseas goaltender reach out to me um, trying to get a new spec NHL chest protector um, to play in a pro league over there. He liked the looks of it. I'd heard good things about the protection, um, but they, they they don't want it over there. Um, it's not a retail product for them. It's not a product they mass produce. They don't want other people asking for it. So uh, it's it's kind of an interesting thing. There are some. Now, having said that, at retail, the answer is different. It depends on the company. Uh, there are some who have brought their NHL spec chest protector to retail. Uh, I believe the latest Brian's chest protector matches the NHL specs. And it'll be interesting to see how that's adopted. I Personally, I'm probably not looking for a smaller chest protector. Thank you very much. Um, if I don't have to be. Uh, if I'm in the Western League, might I be thinking, you know, we told this story last year, Michael DiPietro, when he was with the Vancouver Canucks for that ill-fated game and the emergency start, he was actually up here for a while uh, before that start. And so the NHL mandated that he had to have a new spec chest protector based on his measurements. So he got it. And then he took it back and he wore it in the Ontario Hockey League in the playoffs because to him, that was going to be part of his transition to pro next season. But most guys aren't looking to do that. Most guys want to stay in what they're in, what they're comfortable in, what works best. And sacrificing, like in DiPietro's case, like if you do the math on one inch off the arms, like you're you, essentially on a six-foot goaltender, you could be cutting like six square feet of coverage around the edge, like in terms of his silhouette in that new chest protector. That's how much uh, K and them have reduced, especially when you take an inch all the way down the arms um, and some of the tapering around the shoulders. Most guys, and I've said this, I've had European guys go over to Sweden with an eye towards getting back to the NHL, and they've asked, like, should I should I stay in NHL spec pads and chest protectors? And the answer is, is it only if you think it's going to help you stop more pucks, because there isn't a scout in the world that's out there watching you in Sweden right. that's going to say, oh, well, his save percentage is down 10 points, but we should take a look at him because he's wearing new gear. Most of them don't even recognize it. So the the short answer, which I'm clearly not very good at, is no. So Cam will be able to, if you ask Cam and the guys and the team over at the hockey shop, they'll be able to sort you out yep. whether you want the, the NHL specs or and go with brand A, B, C or not. And, 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 and to be honest with you right now, I think it's just the one, one and it's not even brand wide. It's just the one model. Uh, I think it's Brian's that, that has, you know, sort of their NHL specs available at retail. Um, I know CCM, the two models we discussed, 
uh, the Premier Pro, which as I joked in that segment, like if I could get six of them, you know, it's kind of like <laughs> when they discontinued the the wedges, I went out and bought two sets of Cleveland right. with, with the yeah, illegal yeah, grooves because yeah. I need all the help I can get. And, you know, frankly, like, again, um, NHL guys were getting beat up a little bit in those chest protectors. No, the injuries never materialized that we thought might. And that's good. That shows that Kay really went to town on making sure these guys were protected. But they weren't protected from from black and blue. And I saw a lot of those bruises. A lot of them stopped complaining because they didn't want to be tagged as whiners. Um, and hey, that's fine. They're making millions of dollars. I get it. This is It's become part of the job description again, depending on the model you wear. But me as a beer leaguer, or, or, or if I had a young son playing at a high level, I, you know, we saw James Reimer flinching on the ice in camp last summer. I don't want my kid flinching. I don't want him scared of the puck. And my idea as a beer leaguer, like, I, I've never considered bruises and, you know, like painful to the touch bruising to be something I want in my life. So no. I default to a model that keeps me protected. And, well, and so that's I, where Cam and the hockey shop can. Exactly. Exactly. Take care of you. Exactly. Okay. Yes, they can. And that means, hey, and we mentioned it in there. Cam on the hockey shop. I talk every week about being down there. I talk every week about all the selection uh, in Surrey at the hockey shop source for sports online at the hockey shop.com. What I don't talk much about is the demo program. And the demo program gives local goalies an opportunity to try before you buy, to really take it on the ice and feel it. As good as Cam and his crew are at fitting and making sure you, you know, they put everything on you. We've talked about how they fit things, you know, to fit pads, you got to have skates on, you got to have pants on, you got to see how everything integrates. At the end of the day, the ultimate test of that is to get it on the ice with your pants, with your skates, see how it feels. And they have a demo program that allows you to do that. The other part of the demo program is as old gear is replaced by new, annual sale. And their annual demo sale starts this Friday, July 12th. And speaking of chest and arms, I see on their Facebook page, which you can check out, uh, just find their Facebook page and click on the demo sale event, has a CCM Extreme Flex Shield to senior, senior, medium size. They rate everything. This one's a four out of five. Looks like it was just part of the demo fleet that was used at Tendy Fest that you were at, Darren. So out on there for a day, maybe had a couple days of use at the most, $349. So um, there's an example of the demo, the demo fleet and the demo program at the hockey shop doesn't just benefit goaltenders in terms of being able to try before you buy. But starting on Friday, you're going to be able to buy stuff that's been lightly used at a pretty good discount. Um the Facebook page is where you'll be able to find the gear as they unveil it leading up to the, the sale starting on Friday. I've seen it myself. Uh, there's a brand that will not brand new, but a very lightly used Thatcher Demko Canucks set of Bryant's uh, pads and gloves that'll be on there. Just lots of good stuff to check out. So um, be sure to check out their Facebook page, the Hockey Shop Goal Facebook page. Look for the demo uh, event on there, click on it and check out the full inventory. And then you'll be able to buy that starting Friday, July 12th at the hockey shop.com or in person at the hockey shop source for sports in Surrey. Hockey shop.com. It's where I got my new knee pads a week ago. I used the, uh, in goal discount code and Dawson set me up, uh, the online coordinator. So I thank you very much. I went with the warriors. I went with the warriors, uh, that, that go down your knee. 
I know you guys. You guys were you guys were offering me some of your your old old ones. I I do not want to smell like Woody or Hutch, so I went with my my brand new ones and used the discount code. So I smell I smell like flowers and rainbows for the record, but <laughs> um, that's good. Hopefully, you got the new ones, not the ones that left Cam limping. <laughs> no, I I uh, I'm hoping that they took care of me and they, and knew that I needed the new ones. I God. I, nobody shoots hard enough in my league anyway. But uh, Dawson and, and company uh, appreciate it. Uh, our feature interview this week, Dusty Emu, bound for the KHL, the Continental Hockey League, with the uh, Kunlan Red Star. Did I pronounce that right, Hutch? Uh, sounds good to me, but okay, I'm good. Not, not up on my Mandarin. <laughs> he takes, uh, we're talking about Dusty here. He takes another step in a career that started in the BCJHL and then a couple of busy stops in the Western Hockey League followed. A bunch of years in Japan where he was able to suit up for Japan at the groundbreaking 1998 Olympic Winter Games, the first games to allow NHLers to participate. Uh, we talk about it all and his second career in the game and how he approaches working with goaltenders. His foundation, by the way, philosophy has nothing to do with the technical part of goaltending. A fun and educational conversation with Dusty Emu chatting with Kevin Woodley and myself with a reference to Sportsnet hockey analyst John Shannon, who is a longtime producer for Hockey Night in Canada and also produced several Olympic tournaments, including the games mentioned above of 1998 in Nagano, Japan. Before we get too far into this interview, I just want to relay a story and how I first came about knowing Dusty Emu. Uh, this goes back to, well, the Western League. Obviously knew about you uh, from that and following it, but I've had several conversations over the years with uh, one John Shannon and Dusty. Uh, do you do you know John at all? Uh, well, I don't know him personally, but we've we've mm-hmm. spoken and uh, uh, tweeted back and forth. <laughs> so so John was the producer of the Olympics uh, that you were playing and you gave him a signed stick, I believe that he still has. And, and he calls it one of his greatest, uh, mementos from, from his broadcasting career. And this is a guy that's ran hockey night in Canada and, and, uh, so many things with, with CBC sports and, and Olympics and to have a, a signed piece of memorabilia from, from Dusty Emu and the Olympics up on his wall as a prized piece of memorabilia is pretty cool. So that's, that's the Dusty I know. And if you can make John happy, Dusty, you've you've got the eternal secret right there to happiness. <laughs> he actually, I can't remember how it came about, but he tweeted uh, a message to me about that. I didn't know. I can't remember doing that, but uh, that that's pretty cool. This is a great story. So there's your. Uh, we'll get back into the Olympic uh, experience in just a, a second, but the the news of the summer for you is that uh, you're going to leave North America and go back to uh, to Europe and just tell us an idea give us an idea of exactly what your role is going to be in China. Um I'm going to be the goalie coach for the Kunlun Red Star in the KHL. Um and, but the interesting twist is they're based in Beijing an Asian uh city so I, there is some familiarity it's i know it's not japan but uh uh some of the the quirks and stuff i'll i'll be familiar with for sure but yeah that that's basically the the gist of what i'm going to be doing in addition to uh kevin mentioned um i'm going to be working with 
the Chinese men's and women's uh, goalies and help prepare them for 2022. How does that position and job change come about? Do they recruit you? Do you send resumes out uh, after working with the LA Kings for so long? Um, No, it was really uh, the hockey gods were just kind of working in line because I literally was in LA end of May for development meetings and was going to sign an an extension. They offered me an extension and I got a text from Kevin Weeks. And he said, I don't know if you signed the extension yet, but, uh, or you, if you'd be interested, but a, a team in the K is looking for a goalie coach and depending on the quality would be willing to pay XX amount. And I, I said, uh, yeah, I, yeah, well, I'd listen to what they had to say and talk to them that weekend. And that's just kind of literally how it went off. Tough decision to leave the Kings. Like that's, I mean, you were there for a while after a stint with, with the, with the Winnipeg Jets, slash Manitoba Moose had ties obviously to some great success stories. Jack Campbell, Peter Budai, who retired this year, obviously Cal Peterson. Was it tough to move on from that? Or like, where's the mindset now after having made the decision? Actually, right at the end, when I was deciding on whether I was going to do it or not, it was a very difficult decision to actually say the words, I'm leaving, <laughs> I'm not coming back. But once I did it, I, I knew I made the right decision. You know, it's hard to explain. I, having Cal and still he's right there nipping at the door and, you know, Jack's already there. Soupy's already in LA. So I felt like I could accomplish, helped him accomplish that. And I was wanting to do that with Cal and, and I felt like I was leaving him or something. So I felt that responsibility. So that part was tough. And the friendships I've made over the, my time in LA, that was tough. And, and living in LA, <laughs> leaving that's going to be tough. But, but the decision, you know, there really was only one to make. I felt they made the right decision. No, it, it's interesting to me because, I mean, and the Kings treat the position well. Like there are teams that pay a lot less for their AHL and mm-hmm. development coach. So this isn't necessarily about, about, you know, just about money. But it is interesting to me that there are teams overseas, like in the KHL, where they treat the position financially um, better, frankly. Mm-hmm. And, and you're not the only one to leave this year. We saw. For family reasons, um, and you know, family in terms of like his wife can't work in the states, um, and the position isn't enough to bring the whole family down there. We saw Calgary lose Colin Zulianello this summer. Where you know, I would, on one hand, it seems like it should be one of the most important positions in your organization because what's the value of turning a prospect into a pro in that position? And yet, on the other hand, um, there are a lot of organizations where it's not really enough to even make a living for your family. Again, not targeting the Kings because yeah, yeah. I think they were probably on the higher scale, but it, it's an interesting juxtaposition for what we often hear is the quote unquote most important <laughs> position on the ice. And yet not all NHL organizations treat it that way sometimes. Yeah. I don't think it's a new story. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, that's a whole other topic, and and you know it's not a secret. I wouldn't be spilling the beans by saying that. Um, and it's kind of weird too because it's like there's it's such a vast difference in the scale of some of the coaches 
how and how they're being uh, compensated or paid. Um, for me, that you know, like you said, LA treated me well. I can't complain, and they they were a great organization that way. But uh, yeah, it's definitely a, a, a room for discussion for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, Darren. We've talked about this before, and we won't put Dusty on the spot. Other organizations, though, where you will actually have guys making more in the development job for one organization than somebody else does in the National Hockey League for another. So there's a lot of discrepancies still out there. And, you know, I don't want to put you on the spot, but it's just interesting to me. That's a discussion we can have down the road. I want to get into the career a little bit, eh? Like, I'm looking at the the hockey DB and you start, start in the BCHL in Kelowna. And then... Actually, they, in Summerlin, they don't have that on there. In Summerlin? Yeah. So Summerlin That's and then 15. Kelowna and then the New West Bruins. Yep. In we're talking late 80s now, Lethbridge for a couple of years, Regina, and then into pro. Like what 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 was now you're dealing with young pros now as a goalie coach. And can you contrast what it was like for you coming up in terms of the support transitioning out of the Western League to pro compared to what these guys have now or how these guys are trained now or what that process is like now? How how has that changed? Is it night and day from when you came up? Yeah. Well, I, I try to use a lot of the good and the bad stuff from when I played and, and try to help build goalies, you know, from the lack, lack there of what I didn't have to, to try to give them. But I also, I think sometimes they, they baby the, the kids a little too much in their upbringing. And by the time they get to me, they're like, they're so used to being spoon fed. They don't know how to take care of themselves. And, uh, Whereas it was the opposite when I played, there was like no support, like literally zero support. So uh, there's a healthy balance in in the middle, and I try to use from when I played to to help build my through my coaching. When did you have your first goalie coach? Like nowadays, kids have got them from seven, eight, sometimes even younger. When did you have your first goalie coach? I remember one of the assistants in New West was uh, Vic Lemire, and he was a goalie school guy in Vancouver area. So he was uh, a goalie coach. I don't remember. I'll be honest with you. I don't remember him coaching me. I can't remember. Uh, But uh, that would have been technically the first guy I had. And then after that, I can't remember the next. Wasn't until I turned pro. What uh, what type of goalie were you? What was your style? All over the place, faster. <laughs> I was all about just making it look good. That's all I cared about. Diving around, big flashy glove saves. <laughs> I was all over the place. One other question: You had four coaches in four years of major junior. Yeah. So how how did that impact you, or or did it? Because you couldn't really get used to somebody, or that coach couldn't get used to to mm. your game beyond that year. Oh, no, no. That said, you played a ton of games, so they yeah. it didn't take a long time to to really understand what you were like. But going through four coaches in four years is different. Yeah, well, it, it was. I think it it built some uh, a thicker skin for me. I, I figured things. I, I had a lot of growing pains on the way up through that, and l- looking back. I think it helped build me, but it also changed my, (laughs) my pro path for sure. I didn't learn things quick enough uh, as far as humility and, uh, and, and some of those things that when you, you're at the top of the mountain, you think you're, you think you're the shit and 
Um, mm-hmm. You're not. Uh, but uh, the coaches themselves, they had so many different styles of coaches. And uh, back then, though, I'll be honest with you, I, I, I thought I was bigger than I was. And I, I, I don't think I responded to all the coaches the way I should have or could have. Uh, I did have, it was mainly my first one that I really did not get along with well. And that was a huge transitional point for me because I was, my draft year, I was ranked number one in central scouting and I was supposed to be it. And uh, that year didn't go well. And a lot of that, looking back, as I grew up I, and I figured out, I had to take some of that responsibility. You know, for years, I thought that I was just getting, you know, pissed on and whatever. But then as I look back, a lot of that was on me and uh, not dealing How with so? coaches. How so? In, in the sense of what you would have changed and what that situation was. For people that maybe are going through a similar development right now. Well, it's huge because it's really simple, though. If if you just look at yourself with a little more humility, it could have changed my path because all I had to do, like I still played 28 or 30 games or whatever it was, and that's plenty of games to showcase yourself and play well. But I was so busy, not happy that I wasn't the guy uh, and I wasn't playing every game that I would have good games and I'd have crappy games. And I'd be, you know, I was up and down and people were like, well, maybe this guy's not. And then as the year went on, he started playing me less and less and less because he, he was mad at me and just fully so looking back. And then he, at the, just before the playoffs, he brought in Oli. Kolzik. Yeah. And uh, who's a buddy of mine. And uh, then I get traded the next year to, to the left bridge. But yeah, so and and then I passed through the draft, right? And so then I had to start all over again in Leftbridge and rebuild myself. And by that time, once you get labeled, it's tough to come back from that. Is the lesson there? I mean, we, it's it's interesting. We just we just went through a, a mindset goalie mindset seminar with John Stevenson and Pete Fry this last week mm. um, before talking to you. And a lot of the focus was, you know, the catchphrase is control the controllable. But there's a case where if your focus is on the wrong things, like being angry that you're not playing, um, you're not focusing on the right things. That, that that's not a controllable, right? Right. Is that having been through that? Is it easier to relay that to young goalies that you get coming up that have been drafted? That like, does it make it easier having lived through it yourself and having being able to look back at your own career and talk about it that way? Do you think it helps you? build that relationship and that trust and, and that buy-in from your guys when they come up with the Kings? For me, for me, it's one of the biggest parts of my coaching. Uh, next to rapport is where I, probably my biggest asset and just developing re- relationships. But the next most important thing is I use my experiences, the bad ones, mostly, not to talk about how the things I did great, but all the ones that, where I made mistakes along the way and things that I felt I could have done better or fo- you know focus better on, I, I totally use that. And I don't mean to take away from, from coaches that don't have that playing experiences, i.e. Uh, Matt, who we'll, right. we'll mention later, because you can still be successful 
But for me, it's a huge tool I use. And I use those, it almost built, ties into the, with the rapport when they see that I'm using my vulnerability and telling them how I made mistakes. And they're more open to listening and try to maybe fix those things before they catch up to them, you know? Greg Pankowitz, just a former teammate comment, because uh, I don't usually do this with people on the Ingold podcast, but uh, tell me about Greg Pankowitz, because <laughs> he is a personality that I got to know at the Manitoba Moose. He was a wild guy. <laughs> Panky. Yeah. My last year when I, <laughs> yeah. when I was in Regina, we were, we were uh, two of the three 20 year olds. He's a great guy, but he's a nut bar. <laughs> nut bar. Yeah. It was so funny because I, you know, we went our different paths and, yeah. and, and uh, I can't remember when I saw it, but I'm looking online at some YouTube video and it's <laughs> Greg's ripping his clothes off and uh, he's coaching somewhere, throwing his stuff on the ice, doing a strip tease. He's, the guy's nuts. He uh, played for Randy Carlisle in the Manitoba Moose, and he did this. He scored one night, and he did this celebration where he just stood in the middle of the ice, put his arms up, but it was like, "Look at me!" This "Look at me" celebration, and I thought Carlisle was gonna kill him uh, for for that type of thing. But uh, just a little. Thanks for indulging me there. No, Woody. no, that's fine. Uh, a, a little bit uh, of a of a sidetrack there. Okay, so you're now. How did you get into coaching? Because you went to Japan, yeah, and was it always an idea that you would? Get into that side of things? Zero uh, percent chance. I had no... So that's low, yeah. Yeah, no, like literally, I, I, as soon as I retired, I specifically went away from the game. Uh, mainly because I, when I retired, I actually still wanted to keep playing. And I, so it was hard to be around the game. Right. I retired for the family, totally, uh, to, to help, you know, build roots again here. And, and so I got away from the game and, you know, to be honest with you, you know, uh, life outside the game was not good to me. You know, things financially uh, went south and uh, uh, that's what's kind of opened my eyes to the op, maybe the option of doing it. And I, started making a few phone calls, uh, called Hershey, uh, Corey Hirsch and Billy and just asked, you know, and, and Hershey was actually probably the biggest, uh, uh, influencer to start me off. You know, he gave me GM's numbers and I wrote off resumes and I started throwing it out there. And then, uh, I think Billy got me in, uh, uh, connected with Russ Farwell in Seattle. And I, that's where I, I took that job and it was perfect because I could still be at home and just drive down to Seattle, you know, six, seven days a, a month and just try it out. See if I, I was one, if I was good at it and see if I liked it. And I, I, I loved, it was fortunate too. I had Connor Walchuk and, and Darren Rumble and it really, a good staff there that it made me really enjoy it and uh, enjoyed working with Calvin Pickard. And I was there this in the second year I start I said, I'm gonna I wanna do this. So I threw out resumes and then um did that Hockey Canada camp and saw flats there, Wade Flaherty, and that's how I got the Winnipeg job. That's interesting. Now that window where things didn't work out, did they mm. include did you have a 
was it a juice shop? Yeah, smoothie shop. Smoothie shop here in White Rock has a, yeah, the fellow hometown White Rock <laughs> native here. Yeah, I, I remember. I can remember being geez, Dusty. I don't want to say like coming home from university or maybe maybe I, just reading about it, reading about yeah, you yeah. how you'd finished your career and you're opening a smoothie shop here in White Rock. So from from the Olympics and playing in Japan to smoothie shop in White Rock. Yeah. To Seattle, Western League goalie coaching, to Manitoba, to LA, and now back to China. Like that's a heck of a path, man. <laughs> that's that's that that's keep, there's a book here. Keep it interesting. Yeah. What was your uh, when you did the Seattle gig? Like, what did you do for drills? You had no you had no real book or, no. or foundation to work. So when you show up there, what? What do you instill in these goaltenders as you make it up as you go along? Right. Literally, that's what I was doing. I'm not <laughs> going to lie. Uh, I, I, I guess I said to myself right off the hop, I, I was going to just kind of be me. And, and that's really kind of where I started pulling from my career. And what would, and not, not saying, yeah, I, I did this or this is how I did it, but more so, how I would like to be treated. So if I was thinking, well, maybe right now he just let in, you know, three goals or whatever, he probably doesn't want me coming down there. So I would kind of base it off of how I felt I would have wanted to be treated. And that's kind of where I built it. And same goes with drills. You said, Darren, Yeah, I, I would build drills based off of stuff that I liked. And, and, and things that I hated, I would stay away from. And, and that's kind of how I started things. And then I would ask, ask questions, right? I would say like, just, you know, if you don't like something, make sure you tell me, you know, do you, do you like this or what, what don't, you know, what do you want to work on? And I really asked a lot of questions earlier on. And then as it got going, I kind of know I know what works a lot more now, but I still always revert to that because I think they like that. As soon as you feel that you know everything and you can just do it, then you, they the interaction disappears and then that connection disappears. How long did it take you to feel confident that you had a foundation that you were comfortable in that role? I, Two years? I, I think my second year in Winnipeg, I really. How many years into it then? Was so that's that. that I, fu- I I I messed around in 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 with Surrey Eagles, right? Uh, Did local but it was just more 18. just helping out. And then I went to Seattle, and I was doing. That was easy though to feel confident because they really didn't put any pressure on me at all. And I was only there, you know, seven days in the month, and it was not that pressure wasn't there. So I felt pretty good. Uh, but I wouldn't say I knew what I was doing. And then I got the job in Winnipeg and it was like, now I'm an NHL development coach. So I, I tried to just stay true to, to who I was. And, and the first year I had really good success with Hutch. Michael and, Hutch. Yeah. yeah. And, and then the next year with Helly, I, I gained a lot more confidence that year with Hutch. That I was like, man, I actually kind of, what I'm doing works. It, it worked. So, so you're well. building your confidence. Yeah, through yeah. Myself as well. And then by the time I got to Heli, I felt pretty good about, about what I, myself as a coach and, but every year it just kind of build off of that, you know, is that part of, I think that's part of what attracts me to this job 
is new voices, new people. You're kind of always evolving and learning. Oh yeah. In, in my case, because I'm talking to everyone, that's what makes this great. Right. This podcast great. But is that important as a coach too? That you're constantly sort of looking for stay true to yourself, but you're always looking for other ideas. And can like I've seen it in some cases where coaches, some organizations don't want them out there. And they become very, it becomes very insular and they become very isolated. And I can imagine that would be hard to sort of almost continue your development as a coach if that was the case. I think it's, it's super important to constantly want to improve yourself and evolve. I just think it has, needs to happen. I don't, I was going to use the word organically. That's kind of stupid, but, um, but naturally I I don't, you got to be careful though. If you, if you look at a lot of goalie stuff out there and coaches it's like sometimes it's over the top and sometimes it seems a little force-fed to me and that's just my opinion like some of the stuff i see out there i'm like dude you you can really knuckle that down a little bit you know bring it down a notch or two (laughs) like some of the stuff is pretty crazy out there and it seems like they're trying too hard to create new stuff when you some of the stuff you don't need to I think there's a healthy balance of evolving and learning and picking up new stuff that, yeah, that that's cool. And that I could implement that into mine, but I think sometimes as as goalie coaches, you almost, you're almost adding things for the sake of adding. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the the game, the, the position isn't rocket science, you know, it's get hit by the black thing. Right. What, so what is your philosophy now that you've established yourself? Um, well, if you ask guys like Soup and, and, and Cal and Boots, the the base for me, I and this might sound a little fluffy, but it, it's based around the love of yourself and the game. That's it. And I think too much of the business takes over as we move up. And it happens now. We're really young with these kids. And by the time they get to us, it's like there is like, they've squeezed every ounce of joy out of the game with these kids. And by the time they get there, it's like business one-on-one <laughs> and mm-hmm. they don't even know why they play the game other than dinero. You know what I mean? Like it's literally, they, they, there's so much uh, anxiety and tension that it's hard to, really bring the best out of yourself. So I base my whole coaching philosophy on loving yourself and loving the game. And it, how do you it, do, how it, do you do that? Well, it's really just bringing it back and having that good heart to hearts and getting them to trust me and listen to what I'm saying. And really, I got to try to break away all their focus on all the white noise around them and just really get them to focus and remember. It's like just kind of getting them to remember why they play the game in the first place. It's unbelievable when you ask these kids these questions, they're like, what do you mean? They have no clue, some of them, as to what I'm talking about at the beginning. And But but what, over time, like with Soupy, I'll tell you what, I taught him some things and technically we worked on his game and I can he'd tell you I'd helped him with that. But Without a shadow of a doubt, that is the number one reason why he changed his career around. And it was fun. What's that? It was yeah. fun. Enjoyment. Yeah. And himself, but even more importantly for him, it's to, to, to be happy with himself as a person, regardless of the outcome. Like we base our, our, 
our our self worth on our achievements as as athletes and not just goalies, but it's like if we don't make it to here, if we don't get this contract, if we don't get this, we're, we're failures, right? And Soupy was that. <laughs> He's the poster. Well, he, and he that. had the expectation of being oh. a high pick too. Oh yeah. And but his expectations were so high on himself that anything other than being the Dallas Stars number one goalie, he was felt himself not worthy as a person. And it just brought him lower and lower. By the time he got to me, he was like this big, you know. So that was, was that go ahead. No, Woody. no, that 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 was the number one reason that changed his career. And, and how, like, so how do you go? Like, is that just, is it just as simple as building a relationship with the kid? Like, how do you go about repairing that? Or like, I mean, do you, do you go psychologist on it? Are you recognizing it and trying to diagnose or are you just building a relationship? I can't speak for everybody. You know, I can't say that every goalie coach has to do this, this or this. I'm just speaking for me. And I'm telling you, I, I, there's no, I'm not trying to keep secrets. Like if, if I, I can help another goalie coach, maybe try to curb their path and how they do things, then more the merrier. But that's for me, that's the basis of everything. Just relationship. Like I know my stuff and I know how to play. I can, I can help teach, but none of that means squat. If you can't build that relationship, in my opinion, I th- I think that's the the biggest reason for my success. So we talked we talked about Jack. The other guy that I think a lot of people think of is who who had a was similarly down in his career when he came to LA. It was got to be Booth. Yeah. Like um who I just like like he was one of my favorites as an NHL backup to talk to. Um and he really had built a career where like he was, you know, like a lot of people model like this is the guy for that job right like and and he was so good in that role i used to ask him questions like what's the secret right not that anybody wants to be talked about hey what's the secret to being a great backup we all want to be a number one but he seemed so comfortable in that role and then by the time you get him in la he's gone through an entire calendar year without a win like how what are the similarities and differences between where he was at and where jack was like are there similarities there or um just just before you answer yeah, that, yeah. Peter Budai. Peter Budai is who we were talking about. Right. Uh, so for for the uninitiated, uh, who, who are apologies, who, who are not as in a, in a deep dive like Woody, seventeen layers underneath the uh, the Earth's crust. So uh, Hawk, go ahead. Uh, the similarities and the the differences. Hockey lingo. Um. Um. Yeah. The, there were there are definite similarities. Totally different people, but I think the the one thing that. I just focused on was um, trying to understand wh- why he was tanking and and where it was where it was coming from, and so in that sense, it's a little bit different than Soupy. Like I I, I had I don't know if you, it shows, but I had Pete in Manitoba. I had, well, it was St. John's. Oh, right. Oh, in their farm system. And that's when he had that year. But so when I when I got him. He could not let go of the fact that he went from the Montreal Canadiens and he was eight-year veteran and they Winnipeg sent him straight to the American League. Like they didn't even consider him. They sent him straight to St. John's. So he was pissed about that. And then things didn't go well right off the hop. 
but he wasn't getting smoked. He was losing close games, and but he was still had a chip on his shoulder, and he felt he was this. He felt he, here, and he was being shoved down here. So you can he, probably relay that, I guess, from your you just hundred percent started the. So WHL. he's focusing on the wrong crap, and it just started to breed, uh, uh, you know, like a virus. It's like you could sense it coming, and it got worse and worse, and then Ali started winning. And then so he, he'd go five games without playing, 10 games without playing. And he so now every game, he's like this tight, right? So I could see it just going like this. But I, I told Boots at the end, at, all through the year, I said, if you don't learn to let go of your past and what you did, it's not going to change. And then he called me up in the summer and said he might have an opportunity to go to LA and that's right when I signed. So he called me. Did he, when he calls you, does he know you're the, the you would yeah, be the goal yeah, coach? Yeah, okay. I just signed. And I, he, he was like, what do you think? And I said, you could totally do it. And I said, but if you do it, I said, the only way you're going to have success is if you drop all your past and literally leave it at the, leave it at the door and you're a nobody again, you're a kid trying to earn a spot. I said, if you do that and come to me, I said, we'll have success. And he did it, and he was goalie of the year. So yeah, in the in the American League, and yeah. then you know, and then is it the next year? Quick the next gets year, hurt. He played sixty games. Yeah, in, in in the NHL before getting traded to Tampa Bay. So yeah, from seven eight shutouts. Yeah, like so. So you go from not winning for was it, was it a calendar year that he didn't have a win in the American? Like it, there was some zero. stat. Yeah, zero wins. You know, it's funny. You know, what it reminds me of is is Corey Schneider, and we talked about with him about this. Remember, Darren, where it becomes that result not getting a result for yeah, so yeah. long becomes all the focus and you're asked about it constantly. And like you said, Boots wasn't actually playing that bad in, in a lot of those games, but that becomes the focus. How do you get guys? And I know you're big on this, not to focus on the result. Well, that's where that interaction comes in to be there for them. It was huge with Cal Peterson this year because the team was really, really young and quite weak. And he, you know, he'd go five games in a row with over 50 shots and getting lit up every night, <laughs> four goals, five goals, three goals. Like it, and come, and he came and, off a stint where and, when there was an injury, he went, he was in the NHL. He had nine twenty two. Yeah. He did not look out of place at no, all. No, no, he, he was ready to, he was last year. He was ready. I felt, and he was still getting lit up. So I was like, if you're there for them and you, they really believe in you and you, they're kind of drink the Kool-Aid, they'll kind of focus their attentions elsewhere, away from the score clock, away from the shot clock, away from the, the stats on the internet, and just play the hockey game. And if they're playing good hockey, like, they'll know it. If they're playing bad, they'll know it. So if, but you, as long as you reaffirm that you say, hey, you played a great hockey game, even though you bled in four, like, as long as you keep doing this, this, and this, You'll be. I, I my only goal is that you're ready to play in the NHL. Doesn't matter what you're letting in here. I don't care, as long as you're not letting in crappy goals and you're going in the right direction. That's all the focus is should be on. But sometimes you need that person to do that. It's pretty hard to do on your own. Hard to believe for all these years the guys were left. Yeah, around. yeah. I mean, totally. I mean, so we're not that far removed. We talked. We began this conversation talking about you know maybe some teams valuing the role a little different. 
Um, but we're not that far removed from most teams not having a development guy. So these kids in their most vulnerable years and their most crucial growth years, we're often just left to their own devices to figure it out. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's, it's quite funny when you say that uh, you were talking about how the, the position is supposed to be the quote unquote most important position and stuff, but it's not real. It's relatively new stuff <laughs> as far as the support that the, the goalies have been getting. Just to piggyback on that, now going to uh, to China. Yeah. Not I don't know how how multilingual you are. Obviously, you, in in Japan, you you were able to communicate uh, yeah. very well. But are you without that language, natural language uh, communication? How will that transition it, for you, that, or how will you coach? Yeah. No, that's a great question because I I was over in Japan for twelve years, and the you know. Mm-hmm translators and stuff you never really cared because you're just playing hockey right but now that i base a lot of my like i was just explaining that whole spiel about how i coach it's a great question and it's going to be an interesting one uh moving forward it's that's i i'm super excited about the whole thing like obviously the two goalies on the on the khl team speak english i've already spoken with them and who you got next year i'm curious jeremy smith uh, yeah. And, oh, okay. Yeah. And Simone Rubek, uh, Czech. He played in the World Championships this year. Okay. And I know Jeremy. Obviously, and, he was uh, in Nashville for a while in Detroit yeah. and Detroit uh, and Boston yeah. and Colorado. At the end of the day, like as much as the relationship is going to require a broader language and, and understanding and building that, does the language of goalie help? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I think. I'm not worried. I'm not worried about it. I'll find my way around it. Uh, I, I think just, you know, the connection of my enthusiasm, you know, uh, my laid back nature, I think will rub off in any language. So I'm hoping to be able to connect with them. I think it's going to be really cool. I think the, the whole thing with the, the my Olympic connection and having done exactly what they're going to be doing uh, playing for an Asian team, host team, severe underdog. Uh, I've done that in that position that they're trying to, you know, get ready to to play. I think that alone is going to ha- They've kind of built it up over there, I think, a little bit too. So, the pr- you know, my entrance into teaching with them is hopefully going to be aided a little bit. Now, well, so it's a perfect segue, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Your, your Olympics, you talk about building it up. Your Olympics was the the biggest of them all, arguably, because it was the first one. Yeah. Uh, uh, and and Wayne and Eric yeah. and everybody yeah, yeah. For, for, from a Canada perspective. So uh, on on your angle, tell us what that was like playing for Japan and who you played and, and mm-hmm. what, that, what that went for you. It was so weird because it happened... We played together the national team. I didn't play in the Japan League all year. I played for six and a half months with the national team and toured. And Dave King was our our coach, and uh, he had us to tour in Canada and 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 it was quite uh, extensive. But then the Olympics hit, and it was like, Bing, Bam, Boom, and it was like a blur. <laughs> it was so intense and. You know, we get into the village and, you know, you know, guys are walking, Wayne Gresky, we're eating in the village right in the same table and 
all these, like every star is there. It's, it was insane. Thank God. Like I had a few, you know, I knew Theo and uh, Florian Sackick and Oli was in with Germany. And so I, I knew a bunch of guys uh, that made it, you know, seem a little real, but uh, it was pretty intense. And, and then the whole fact that, we are the host team and, and then we sold out every game and everyone thought we were going to get, Oh, sorry. That's okay. We can, we got a beep button. Okay. So everyone thought, you know, we were going to get our, our butts handed to us. So the, the pressure to not be embarrassed, that's what Japan is. So they do not want to get embarrassed in anything. So that's, they put a lot of money into it and, and, so the buildup was huge. And then it happened, you know, we, we actually, you know, we, we did really well against France. Uh, it was three, two, and then two empty netters. So we lost five, two, but it was a close, close game. game. Yeah. And then we, we uh, lost to Germany two one, I think. And then the, the third game is the big one where we played Belarus who spanked both those teams. So Dave, and I got a short story. Dave King pulled me in before the game, and I don't know if you'll remember this, but he said, just so you know, Dusty, if I pull you, don't take this personally, but we're this could be ugly. That was my, there's a positive mindset to go into the game <laughs> with it. <laughs> he said, just, just give it your all, but we are going to be severely outmatched here, uh, just so you know. And don't, you know, I, I, but it, we might have to pull you early or whatever. So that's kind of went into that game. And we, I, I think it was like 44 to 12, we got shot or something. And we tied the game 2-2. Two, two. It was like, you should have seen. It was like we won the Stanley Cup because there was no tiebreaker for the preliminary games. And the crowd's going crazy. The, our players are throwing, the Japanese players yeah. are throwing their gloves off like we'd won the Stanley Cup. And then we played the, it, the the qualification, the last match or whatever, and we beat Austria in shootout, and that was like the style. You should have seen it; it was crazy. Wow! Did you play? You played every game then? I didn't play the first one. They played the Japanese goalie against mm-hmm. Germany, and then you played the. That's rest. a whole other story. But I played the <laughs> what? rest. Oh, what's what's the other story? Can you share that? Well. Uh, I was still young at the time. I didn't handle that news very well. And Bjorn, Ki- Bjorn Kinding and Dave King were the co-coaches, but Bjorn Kinding was the unfortunate soul to have to tell me. He rounded all three goalies uh, uh, up, and he, I pl- prepared and played all the most of the games in that six months, and, and he's like, uh, we're going to start. Shinichi, the Japanese descent goalie, the first game. And I, I left. He goes, I'm not finished. And I, I bleeped a few words out there and I left the building. <laughs> oh. So when, 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 the big game that you guys won and you were celebrating at, at Olympics, uh, you're slotted into segments and then because there's another game mm. uh, and there's another game. Were you guys the last game of the night? Or was there, did you have to, because they get to you off the ice and they got to clear yeah, the rink and boom. I don't remember most of them on when they happened. I do know one though, the Austria game, the shootout behind our net was all um, reserved for athletes. 
mm-hmm. and it was quite empty uh, because some of most of the athletes were busy or whatever. But that Austria game, so it sold out except that area. And my wife has a picture, I think, but uh, Yarmer Jagger is at the kind of at the up of the top of this the bed bleachers, and by the end of the shootout, he's like right behind me, watching and watching. And then I spoke to him after in the lunch area and he was like, you're a Japanese goalie. And he was like, he was super jacked. He, he was how the so hell cool. did he know you were the Japanese goalie? Well, we all had to wear that stuff. And, and then he, he actually asked which one is the Japanese goalie. Oh, okay. or whatever, Good. Yeah. But yeah, it was pretty cool. He was, <laughs> he had the full mullet going and he was the only guy not wearing a tracksuit. He was wearing a leather jacket. <laughs> so how did you connect with John Shannon to give him that momentum? I believe it was a stick, right? Uh, yeah, you that, know what? Honestly, I don't remember. Uh, I do know as we would leave the ice, there was all media area uh, for uh, zone, interviews. Yeah. And, Mixed and, zone, yeah. Yeah, and I do remember uh, John Davidson came down. Right. And, he would be working uh, as a commentator. Then, he yeah. came down. He goes, Dusty, he pulled, waved me over and he... This was one of my favorite stories for me personally that I will ch- kind of cherish or remember. He goes, I don't have, I'm not interviewing you. He, I just wanted to come down as a goalie and say, that was after the Belarus game. He goes, I just want to say, man, that was unreal or whatever. And he just wanted to shake my hand. And that's cool. It was pretty sick. Actually. Yeah. Cause it's, cause he's there to re- goal, you know, game recognized yeah, game, right? Just goalie. as a fellow goalie, yeah. the union. Yeah. It wasn't an interview. That's great. That is great. Uh, one more before we uh, let you go, and and Woody finishes with his two questions. Yeah, right, yeah, because I've always got more. <laughs> it's just because I just have more research and details to ask, Darren. I, oh no, you are you are on it. I I say that with all <laughs> kinds of love. Um, Dusty, one, what's one thing that you see coming or you see in the game that you hope we kind of change or or alter? I'm just curious about that. Whether it's coaching technique, whether it's training technique, or uh, a lot of people, when the RVH came in, they said, that'll never last, or that's goofy. Well, it's become part of the, the game. But I, I'm just, from a, from a goalie perspective and a goalie coach. So in the, in the position of goaltending, yeah. not, not hockey in general, I, I, I'm just a big believer in, in letting, letting guys play more and express themselves. Because I, I always love the game the position because it was fun to, to, to make these saves. And, and I think it's a great expression of your extension of yourself. And I think us as coaches can take that away from them. And, uh, it's kind of a reverse direction for me in a sense, uh, and stepping back and letting them, letting them enjoy play the game a little bit more and not, not try to overcoach. Is that does that mean like is that like from a youth level too like in terms of maybe not even having as much coaching at a young age? Totally, yeah. You could go right back to the beginning and say, I don't think you know. uh, It's except for like you know. Remember Peg Tickton Hockey School, uh, Okanagan Hockey School. Andy Mokst. I just saw a tweet from him. He still goes up there every summer. Like because it's all you remember is how fun it was and going mini putting and and that the experience. So. If you let them do that, that's cool. But as far as coaching, coaching, just let them play. And I think even as adults, sometimes we can let them do that more. And uh, 
I think that for me is, I think maybe a, a transition that needs to take place a little, a little more with coaches. Do you think like we, we did, we opened this. One of the early questions was when do you have your first goalie coach? Do you think, I mean, there are a lot of goalie coaches are going to hate me even asking this out loud in the <laughs> union, but um, like, are we starting too young? Like, is it possible we're coaching some of that out of them at, yeah, at a young age? We see this flock in the NHL towards Russian goaltenders. And part of that I know is that these kids, <clears throat> excuse me, don't have that, you know, they learn it on instinct and they learn to read the game and sort of naturally. And you add the technical stuff at a later age than maybe we do. Well, for sure we do here in North America. Yeah. I, 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 I don't want to put everybody out of jobs and stuff, but I, I totally believe that. That's for me. Uh, I think it's a huge part that plays into sometimes the. We had a, a some thin years with Hockey Canada and 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 the big debate with you know the the coaching and stuff. And I think I think we just got to let them play a little more. You can be there. I'm not saying to have nobody, but I think you got to be careful when you do implement the goalie coaches to, to what their role is, you know? Well, that brings me to my, my two questions, Darren. It actually transitions quite nicely. So how do you find that balance as a goalie dad? Because we, we forget. We've asked him all about his career as, as a player. Yeah, because now all of a sudden, like, like Jonah played, right? Jonah, mm-hmm. and there's some, we've got some great stories that we can ask about that. But like it, when he was younger, yeah, and you're transitioning into this coaching role. Like, how'd you manage that? Because that's 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 different, right? That's a different relationship with dad than it is with with yeah. you know goalie coach and 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 you know prospect versus goalie coach and son. For me, I was really you know you you could ask Jonah, but I was really aware of that right away. That even though I didn't know it, I wasn't a coach yet, but I had that same belief early on that. I just wanted to to not get in his face, you know, and 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 just let him have fun. And every so often you give him a tip, you know, and then they like it. They like that, you know, influence you have. Whereas if you're that typical hockey parent and you're, you know, nipping at them all the time, they just shut you out. And that goes to with regular coaching too. If you're on them all the time, they just shut the door. So I did that with Jonah. Just be a supportive parent and then every so often throw in something where I thought it might help and he would want the advice. But if he didn't, if he looked like he was having a good time, like I wouldn't bother. You know what I mean? Just because, just that I felt he needs to improve or he needs to, like he was having a good time making saves and he felt he had a great game. Then who am I, who am I to say, yeah, but you could have done this, this or this better. You know what I mean? So as a, as a hockey dad, I think that's huge to just step back. Okay. My last one, and we'll bring this full circle is you ended up doing both. And I, <laughs> yeah. I think that one, it might be one of my favorite stories. I was actually sad that I couldn't be there to report it live, but to be able to talk to you two after this happened, yeah. Jonah who was in the Kings organization at yeah. the time. Um, gets, I think an emergency recall starter. There were some injuries, obviously the yeah, same yeah. year that, that Peter was up. Um, Joan ends up getting his first American Hockey League start. And guess who ended up being the emergency backup goaltender? His <laughs> dad, the goalie coach, uh, the goalie development coach for the LA Kings. Like, what was that like that night? Your son's getting his first AHL start. And you, not only are, would you have been there anyways as a coach, 
but you get to be on the ice as the backup goaltender on the bench as the backup goaltender. Was that, was it, was it all positive? Was it nerve wracking? Like how, how tough was that? Like I told back in, when it happened in the interviews, I, I said it was the biggest highlight of my career. Uh, high bigger than the Olympics. Cause it was as surreal and even more so it was literally going so fast for me. I was trying to process it all and to, to keep a handle on things as a coach, right? How, how am I going to deal with this? So Jonah doesn't freak out, but basically it was me freaking out. It wasn't, it wasn't Jonah. Cause like I, I, it, the way it went down too was crazy. So well, well, now it, I can't remember. I'd be honest. Yeah. It's been a few years since the story, but give us some of those. Jonah details. was backing up. He was in Ontario with the rain, backing up Soupy in the American Hockey League, right. right? So I and I was just happened to be in LA doing pregame skate because Billy was in Edmonton doing the alumni game. So I was doing the pregame skate against the Canucks. They were going to play that night, and Zach, I'm on the ice, and Zadkoff goes down. I'm like right next to him watching Zadkoff and he goes down and uh, he's screaming. I'm like, Oh, that's not good. And then right away I'm like, Holy, that means what I'm, I'm thinking like, we're like one goalie short here. So Jonah's right away. I'm thinking Jonah might play. Cause Jack soup and Jack Campbell's Soupy's getting called up. So anyways, I literally get off the ice and they called me up the office and they'd already made calls. And they said, uh, Dusty, you got to drive back to Ontario. And back up Jonah. And I was like, uh, okay. Uh, you sure that's the best thing? Like, I, I, they were like, right now, that's the best option we have. Do you think that's, can you can do it? I said, I can totally do it. I just don't, you know, sure it was a great yeah. idea. And then, I, so he goes, well, we think you can handle it and Jonah can handle it. So I got in the car and drove back and, and that's when I, I, I started getting phone calls. It was like, it went on really fast and it took off. Like I'd never been involved in anything as far as uh, what you, viral or anything. Yeah. That, yeah. That one went, yeah. That one but went that viral one pretty was quick. Like, I was like, people were calling me nonstop. And uh, thanks for taking my call, by the way. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I took that on the drive. Yeah, that's right. I did. I did talk to you on the way there trying to set up the story for the night. Yeah, so. yeah. But, uh, so there's so the, the meeting that when you went upstairs, like there were, this wasn't all uh, all fun and giggles and laughing. Hey, this year you're gonna back up uh, no. Jonah or anything. This was intense. Like, yeah, no, it was business. They, I think Futes, Mike Futa might have laughed a little bit or some somebody I can't remember. But like for the most part, it was get in the car, you know, going. And I I so I did, and I think I the drive I had enough time to process it all and and kind of figure out how I wanted to handle this. And I probably, Jonah probably felt I was being a bit of an idiot acting. How so? Uh, Just maybe too business-like. I don't know, because I didn't want to act like. Yeah, what was the room like before the game, intermission, warm-up, all that? Did he share the net in warm-up? He gave me a little bit. Um, Yeah. I I did, like I said, I wanted to stay so far out of his hair. Like I, I didn't want me to be the focus at all. And it could easily, cause I hadn't played in a long time. I'm backing up or I didn't want any of that, but there was like, there was no 
hide. Couldn't hide. Yeah, you couldn't hide. That story was too big to hide. It, from, for it sure. was by the time we got to warm ups, there were people there just to film that part of us being on the ice together. And, uh, and then, yeah, you know, we did have a, a good moment before that kind of eased the tension a little bit. When we got in the dressing room, we looked at their stalls and uh, kind of had a chuckle because our stalls were right next to each other. Emu, and, emu. I think I have a, I think you sent me a picture yeah, of that. Yeah. So that part was pretty, like, really cool and we could have a moment. But I was, I'm not going to lie, I was super nervous because I could, how does the players focus? You know, because I'm hoping the players have a good game and, you know, make his transition easy. And it wasn't. It was like a tough game to play. And, you know, we're usually really tight and get shots. We I think we mustered like 13 shots against San Jose that night. And so it was a tough game. But I thought he did well. And just the him coming back to the bench and stuff and, trying to keep it like trying to coach, but not coach. It was like, it was overload for me. <laughs> just give him, just give him a water. I true. Hey, I tried to be really easy. <laughs> cause, cause we had biz on the team at the time. Oh yeah. So biz helps <laughs> in any yeah. moment, you know, so he was pretty good. And Jonah actually, he said he was fine. He, 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 yeah, you handled think, it better than you. Yeah, he said I helped in that sense, but he said a couple of the players helped, like Biz and those guys. Great uh, family story, and now uh, now you're going back around the other side of the world. Will you keep us up to date with uh, how things are going over there? Yeah, no, it'd be cool. I, I'm I'm super pumped. It's going to be a lot of fun, actually. Nice. Spread the uh, spread the word of the Ingol Radio podcast uh, in China. He's going to take us okay? overseas. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 This has been fun. Uh, thanks, Dusty. Right on, man. Thanks, Dusty. He's a cool cat. Just a really cool guy. And uh, I'm looking forward to one of the stories that he comes back with uh, from, from Red Star, what he experiences in growing the game in Beijing and China. And the other part is how he grows. But what he, I took from that was just having fun. Like he wants to put fun back in the position and in the game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's always been his MO and he goes, he talks about it openly there in terms of what his strengths are and what he focuses on. It's interesting though, like, and, and speaking of Kunlin, um, you know, we talked about maybe getting some video and, and having him work with our upcoming project at ingolmag.com in terms of, um, you know, sort of pros sharing video and sharing drills that they do. Me and him ended up talking technical talk after we were off the air with you, Darren, for a while. So as much as it is, that is his foundation. And he believes that is the key, building that relationship and the mental side of the game um, and and really getting that trust and buy-in from the goalie as a person. Um, he's still a technical coach as well. He still understands all those elements of the game. He just places them in different order in terms of priorities. So I'm looking forward to keeping up with what he's doing over there and also maybe getting a few tips and drills on the ice from, from Dusty Wellies over there. You know, the thing that, the thing that stood out for me, even above all that, uh, Kevin, and I think it, it, it flows from this is, uh, so I think most people know um, my, my background is a, as a teacher uh, before I got into the in-goal game as, as a full-time thing. Um, and I worked at a boarding school where I was running a boarding house with about 50 boys uh, living with me 24-7. And, and what's most important in that world, whether you're a 
a classroom teacher, if, uh, if everybody thinks back to those great teachers in their lives, or, or if you're living with these guys all the time, is it's about building a relationship with the individual. You, you, you can't just walk in and, and start dictating. You can't assume that your personal reputation is going to give you any credibility with anyone today. Uh, that specific relationship with the individual is just so, so key. And, and I love to hear Dusty talking about that. It's the foundation of all teaching excellence. And, and I hope that every coach out there listening, um, you know, takes the time to build that relationship. Don't just step on the ice and start giving drills. Uh, get to know the individual you're working with. It's, it's, it, it's more important than anything else. The rest, will, the rest will follow. My buddy, Mike Keenan, was the head coach of uh, Quinlan Red Star yes. for, for a couple of years, uh, at least a year. Uh, he's not there anymore, so that'll give uh, Dusty a little bit more breathing room. <laughs> Just <laughs> Kurt Fraser's the, the head coach right now for, I think for Red be, Star. I think it'd be fun to have a little goalie retrospective with Mike Keenan on here one day. Uh, you know what? Uh, I did it on the chirp, and we talked about how hard he was on goaltenders, and he walked me through it because he doesn't think he was. And it's it's interesting to hear that angle uh, from 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 Mike, and uh, we're we're obviously cheering for him and uh, and the treatments that he's going through in his in his battle against cancer. But yeah, goaltending and and Mike Keenan go together. It sounds adversarial, but he thinks there was more of a, a bond than. I necessarily believe. Would he? I, would you, would, I, if he I, grabbed you the way he did grab Bell for that day? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a bravery element to that, yeah. to be honest with yeah. you, <laughs> given some of the stories I've been told about Eddie. Um, you know what? I, I, what I'd be fascinated with is, for, for, for I would like to put Keenan and John Stevenson in that same room. Oh, yeah. That'd and, be good. And, you know, I think that, again... A lot of the things that we talked about leading off this segment in terms of the mental training is, you know, a lot of the talk was about how guys react to coaches, uh, how they're treated by coaches, whether they're cut by certain guys and the ability to sort of get past that and just, you know, to go not to go Belichick on it. But but John Stevenson did like do your job, um, love your job. What was the third one, Hutch? There were three there. Um, and now I put you on the spot. Yeah, yeah. Do your, your yeah, know your job, your know, your, jo- know, know your, your job, job do your, know your job, do oh. your job, enjoy your job. Um, and, and, you know, the controlling the uncontrollables and how a coach treats you, uh, whether you agree with it or not, uh, is, is, is an uncontrollable a lot of the times. There are elements you might be able to control to make him happy, but getting upset about it or dwelling on it is just wasted negative energy. So again, I, that would be a conversation that I would find fascinating uh, between those two and how they approached what what Mike thought was the mental approach with his goaltenders and how he treated them and how John not only would relay that or interpret that as a goalie coach, what he thinks the impact would be, but how he'd tell the goaltender to handle it. Well, along with the uh, long conversation that we had on the chirp uh, with Mike Keenan, he also has a book coming out, I believe in the fall or uh, winter uh, that uh, takes you through his coaching career. He started as an educator as well. At University of Toronto, so there's there's a teaching background there. His practices were exemplary, and he loves to point out how many Vesna Trophy winners he had uh, through the course of his career. And when you start doing that, you're going, yeah, you know what? There's there is something to to success and goaltending. It's a good point. Uh, uh, Curtis Curve just want to bounce back to something that we talked about a couple episodes ago. Hutch, Hutch, there's something there. There, I brought it up, and we got some feedback on this. So I just want to say. 
without going too far down that rabbit hole, I'm not the only one who enjoyed using that goofy model of stick way back in the day. I don't I don't necessarily need one now, but I just wanted to point out that I'm not the only oddball in the world. Hey, I I'm all for innovation. I'm all for trying new things. I'm just not super excited about the guy who spams every post we put up on social media with references yeah. to his new stick. There was one person who who I don't I don't know who it was, but uh, said that they they bought up all the ones that they could they could find. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, no, it's. I'm not. I don't have that energy, but. Congratulations uh, on you, uh, Woody. Nice job on Dusty. Uh, that was that was a that was a fun get. What do we have coming up in the queue? Uh, well, speaking of John Stevenson and pupils, uh, we should have Carter Hart in the queue. So got our wires crossed on. Uh, we would have had him in the queue, maybe even in time for this one, but uh, trust that that's going to work out. So that actually gives us an opportunity now, uh, given we have a little lead time for questions. Hutch, where would they send questions if you want to ask one of? Uh, of the Philadelphia Flyers young goaltender, Carter Hart. I believe they could send those questions to podcast at ingoalmag.com, Kevin. Podcast at ingoalmag.com. Oh, don't be taking my job. Podcast at ingoalmag.com. Oh, we're not worthy. Uh, there it is. That's- on behalf of uh, Kevin Woodley and David Hutchison, Cam at thehockeyshop.com. And Dusty Emu, uh, thanks for listening. Dusty had his heart broken. We will try to mend that uh, with a flourishing heart, a blossoming heart, coming up next week, uh, that of Carter uh, from the Philadelphia Flyers. You're listening to In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by Source for Sports, thehockeyshop.com.